African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. Welcome to our program. You are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Today on the program, we'll be focusing on the abduction of former Madagascar President Mark Ravalo Manana. But uh, before that, let's get our news. And uh, we know that currently right now, the big news is that uh, Oscar Pistorius has been sentenced to five years in prison. I'm sure that Anne Musa will give us that particular update. Let's find out more. In the headlines, Oscar Pastoria sentenced to five years imprisonment for the murder of his girlfriend, Riva Stienkamp. South Sudan's president, Sobakir, and his former deputy, Rahik Machar, sign a deal to end hostilities in the country. And the African Union appeals to African countries to contribute more health workers to volunteer to go to the Ebola-affected countries. Aman Musa, good morning. Judge Toguzile Masipa has sentenced Paralympian Oscar Pistorius to five years imprisonment for the murder of his girlfriend, Riva Stienkamp. This is how Masipa delivered her judgment at the North Gauteng High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. Mr. Pistorius, please rise. The following is what I consider to be a sentence that is fair and just both to society and to the accused. Count one culpable homicide. The sentence imposed is a maximum imprisonment of five years two on count two. The sentence imposed is three years imprisonment, wholly suspended for five years on condition that within the period of suspension the accused is not found guilty of a crime where there is negligence involving the use of a firearm. We now cross live to our reporter Tutongubeni at the High Court. Tuto Oscar received his sentence a few minutes ago. What's the latest feel? Any reaction on his sentence thus far? 
Well, at this point, I think everybody is just uh, thinking about what the sentence means. If Oscar Pistorius will serve the whole sentence, we saw him looking down. He did not cry as usual. So at this point, I think everybody's just thinking about what the sentence means. Even the judge indicated that this sentence is about uh, rehabilitation and also about the family of the disease to be camp and that our reporter Dutungubeni giving us the latest on the sentence that Oscar Pistorius has received. South Sudan's President Silva Kir and his former deputy Rohik Macha have signed a deal to end the hostilities that have left thousands of people dead in the African country. On the invitation of Tanzanian President Shekaya Kikwete, Kir and Macha held talks in the northern Tanzanian town of Arusha yesterday. The two sides accepted responsibility for South Sudan's 10-month civil war. Both agreed that the divided ruling party, the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, should be reunited. South Sudan plunged into violence in December last year when fighting erupted between troops loyal to the president and defectors led by Machar around the capital, Juba. Tunisian authorities have foiled planned attacks by militants on foreign diplomats and economic installations in recent weeks. The Interior Minister Lotfi Benjedo made the announcement days after the ministry said it had dismantled several networks linked to the banned Islamist group Ansar al-Sharia, planning to carry out attacks in the run-up to the to next week's parliamentary elections. Around 46,000 members of the security forces will now be deployed to guard polling stations and state institutions across the country on polling day. Elections on the 26th of this month are seen as a major step in the process of democracy in Tunisia. And finally, the African Union is appealing to African countries to contribute more health workers to volunteer to go to the Ebola-affected countries. Until now, Western African countries like Sierra Leone, Liberia and Guinea are still the most affected with over 4,000 deaths already registered. A UG person, Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma, says the Commission has written to the African heads of states to request for more health volunteers, at least 500 more for now. We are looking for volunteers uh, because this is this is a collective fight. It's not a fight for those three countries. It's a collective fight because it's important to stop the disease in those countries, to stop our brothers and sisters dying in those countries. But if we don't help them, the disease will also come to everyone. So I think it's both to help in terms of solidarity with those three countries, but it's also to protect their own cities, our own citizens, because each member state cannot say it is immune. Recapping the top stories, Oscar Pastoria sentenced to five years imprisonment for the murder of his girlfriend, Rivestian Kamp. South Sudan's President Kiir and his former deputy, Rahik Machar, sign a deal to end hostilities in the country. And the African Union appeals to African countries to contribute more health workers to volunteer to go to the Ebola-affected countries.
this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. I'm Benjamin Mushatama and uh, we'll be with you for the next hour. Remember, during this hour, you can SMS us your views. As I mentioned earlier on, that today we're focusing on the abduction of former uh, President of Madagascar, uh, Mark Ravalomanana. A very, very interesting uh, developments that are taking place then I think not even just interesting but unfortunate in a country that has just come out from elections. But SMSS your views this hour on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. It was reported last week that the whereabouts of former Madagascar President Mark Ravalomanana were unknown after he was seized by police shortly after his surprise return from exile. Later, it was reported that Ravalomanana was held under house arrest in Antsiranana, uh, Diego Suarez, in the north of the Indian Ocean Island. After visiting the former president, his wife, Lalao, said that he was being held in an undignified condition. Mark Ravalomanana, who was sentenced in absentia to life imprisonment with hard labor, slipped back into Madagascar last week Monday, five years after a military coup and two months of violent protests forced him to flee first to Swaziland and then to South Africa. Now, to help us on this story on the line, we have Brian Curran, who is a former Madagascar president, uh, Mark Ravalomanana's legal representative, as well as Wusisi Wakaba, who is a lecturer and Political Science and Basic School of uh, Sciences uh, in Northwest uh, University. As well on the line, we have Cecile Basamo, who's a Senior Program Officer at the Elections and Political Processes at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. But I'm going to start with you, Brian. What are the latest developments on uh, Mr. Ravalomanana's case? Do we know what's happening currently? Yes, uh, good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. Um, the situation has really not changed. Uh, he's now he's being held in a military camp uh, on the northwestern uh, side of the of the island, about 700 kilometres away from Antananarivo. Uh, he's being held in uh, prison conditions, in the sense that although it is not a prison, he's being held in a very small space and has limited access to fresh air and exercise. Um, he does not have uh, free access and easy access to uh, to medical uh, medical attention and or to uh, legal advisors. Essentially, uh, and, he, and I should mention also that he has still not been arrested. There's been no, certainly until uh, last night, mm. no arrest warrant issued, uh, no explanation other than protective custody. Mm. Um, and uh, just li- literally whisked away against his will, which uh, we have termed as um, as a as a, as a unlawful detention and abduction. Hmm. Now, uh, Brian, in terms of uh, looking at uh, the reasons, the president of Madagascar said that he was detained for his own safety and that of the country. But the question remains: safety from who? Well, that's a good question, and it's a question that we've been asking now for 
for many, many years. The roadmap was signed in uh, September 2011, and that made provision for his unconditional return to Madagascar. Uh, he is a citizen of that country. He's entitled to live in that country. Um, but the coup president, Rajulina, uh, Rajwell, uh, refused to and did everything possible to frustrate any attempt to return and essentially said, look, his life is in danger. Um, my advice then to the former president was, yes, I don't think you should go back now because, you know, the, the, the country is not a, a democratic and there is a regime in place and quite frankly I didn't feel one could trust the military and I believe that his life may well have been in, in danger at that stage. Mm. Uh, we now have elections that took place in December last year and um, it's what 10, 10, 10, 11 months since then. No evidence at this stage that uh, his life is, is in danger. His, his wife has gone back, his one son has gone back, there's been, there's been absolutely no threats to their lives or any discomfort caused by anyone other than uh, in relation to attempts now to go and visit him, and they're carrying on with their, with their normal lives. I don't believe there's any risk, um, and if it is a risk, uh, I be we believe that uh, uh, he can stay in his home, which is well protected. Uh, it has, I've been there on a number of occasions in Madagascar. It's got high walls, probably 20 to 30 foot high, um, and the state could easily provide security around that home. There's absolutely no justification whatsoever for taking him 700 kilometers from home and, and keeping him like a, like a prisoner in total violation of his dignity as a person. Now, as, as the former lawyer of the pres former president of uh, uh, Madagascar, we know that he was sentenced in absentia to life imprisonment with hard labor. Uh, do you think that that is one of the reasons that he's uh, uh, held captive? What are your views? How are you making sense of this situation, Brian? No, there's, there's been no suggestion that that is the case. Mm. No, no suggestion whatsoever. I mean, there are four kinds of warrants that could have been uh, could have been issued, and uh, in in terms of of the law in Madagascar, the one is a warrant of arrest to appear before a judge or a judicial officer. The other is a detention warrant. The other is uh, an arrest warrant uh, for in, for a uh, in relation to a convicted person. And the last one is a warrant to bring a person before a judge. Now, the warrant that should would have been uh, issued if it were the third one, namely in relation to a convicted person who had absconded, which, by the way, he didn't do because he was convicted in his absence, they would have issued a warrant, which they have not done. So there is no legal process that has been followed to, in, in there to, to justify or to say that he has been arrested. Now... That particular offence, by the way, uh, was uh, was the result, or well, that conviction was the result of a, in our view, kangaroo court, which was held in his absence during the regime, during a coup regime. Uh, he was quite willing to go back and stand trial. He was, he'd gone to South Africa, but the state made no effort whatsoever, or the the coup government made no effort whatsoever to to ask for his return. He would have gone back. In fact, they stopped him from going back. So, I mean, that, that particular uh, trial and conviction 
quite frankly, would uh, have no, no standing in international law whatsoever. Besides that, the spirit of the roadmap is that there should be a general amnesty except for, for those Rome statute offences. Mm. And the International Criminal Court has stated, and we have it in writing, that there's no evidence whatsoever that he committed any Rome statute offence. Most would be crimes against humanity, war crimes, etc. Mm. But finally... The offences which for which he was charged, he did not commit. It relates to the killing of uh, uh, protested protesters during the violent coup where they advanced on his palace. He wasn't in the presidential palace on that particular day. He, was, he simply did not commit those offences. Mm. Now, I know we have limited time with you, Brian, but uh, let's look at this uh, one more question in terms of uh, uh, the legal steps that you n- now taking or the family's taking to make sure that uh, they, are, they get Mark Ravalomanana back into their own custody and where they can see that he's safe and uh, uh, see that uh, there's uh, proper procedures that are taking place to make sure that he, he is safe if this claim is true that he must be kept safe. What legal yes. processes are you going through now? Well, the lawyers in Madagascar are dealing with that. Um, my own view is, and I think they should deal with it, one needs to follow the legal process, but my own view that this is not a legal problem, it is a political problem, and it needs a political solution. Um, the President uh, Rajonari Mampianin needs, quite frankly, to embrace the spirit of the roadmap. He needs to embrace the spirit of reconciliation, which is the basis of the, uh, which should be informing the uh, new political democratic dispensation in Madagascar. So what we are doing also, besides the legal steps that the lawyers in Madagascar are following, we are using political channels. We are lobbying the international community, the AU, the UN, the SADC, um, other international uh, um, jurisdictions, to um, to call upon uh, President uh, President Rajonari um, Mampianin to indeed uh, engage with uh, the former president, as he has done with the other former presidents, mm. and uh, start looking at setting an example the people of Madagascar about reconciliation. It's pointless. I mean, it, 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 is, it is hypocritical to be sitting at that, in that top seat in the country and talking about reconciliation and adopting the attitude which he is adopting towards uh, the former president. Hmm. Well, we're going to take a little break right now. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, bringing you the latest on what's happening there in terms of the situation in Madagascar. We're speaking to Brian Curran, uh, who is a former Madagascar president, uh, Mark Ravalomanana's legal representative, giving us insights on what's happening there. And on the line, we also have Cecile Basamo, the senior program officer uh, of the elections and political uh, process at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa, as well as Busisiwa Kaba, who's a lecturer uh, in the Political Science and School of Basic Sciences uh, Department in the Northwest University based in South Africa. We'll continue with that particular conversation and find out more in terms of analysis.
Ebola beads. Hospitals with incomplete infection control may see nurses, doctors, and other caregivers infected. Transmission can occur in hospitals without enough gloves, face masks, goggles, and other infection control measures to provide safe care. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Hashtag Beat Ebola Now. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we are looking at the situation of the abduction of former Madagascar President Mark Ravalo Manana. We know that has been a talking point in uh, the continent in terms of uh, the roadmap to uh, democratization in uh, the country, seeing a roadmap to uh, kind of a space where the country sees itself where uh, they are stable politically and we're not seeing that currently. But let me move that to uh, Cecile Bassamo, who's joining us on the line from the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Now, Cecile, the African Union has described uh, Ravala Manana's uh, yeah. abduction as an unacceptable provocation and warned that uh, the stance could uh, undermine successful uh, 2013 elections. Uh, how true is this call from this continental body? Do we see uh, this undermining the election process afterwards? Because there has to be a commitment of making sure that uh, we deal with these political issues after the elections in a, a way that is in, of the interest of the people of uh, Madagascar. Uh, good, good morning to, to you all in the studio and good morning to the listeners. Um, well, it, it is indeed true that uh, March Ravalumanana's uh, return to Madagascar has uh, taken many by surprise. Um, but the reality is, and uh, this is not the first time uh, Mark Ravalumanana has attempted uh, to go back home. In, uh, two tw- in, in 2012, he had attempted to, to return to Madagascar and successfully. Um, the, the, the reality is also that uh, Madagascar held um, elections in uh, 2013, Elections which were observed and assessed by uh, international groups of the African Union, the SADC and the EU, and uh, ISA as well, you know, deployed a mission in the country. And uh, these elections uh, were deemed fair and, and credible by all the various international groups. Uh, at, the, at the moment, Madagascar is, um, is, is going through a difficult time. The, the, the political situation is, is still fragile. And uh, the AU as a continental body, of course, which uh, has been one of the international stakeholders, you know, uh, which uh, has been part of uh, the mediation effort led by the SADC, um, of, of course, it, it, it's quite it's quite a tricky it's quite a tricky situation for all all stakeholders involved. I mean, considering the fact that at the end of the day, uh, about 53 percent of the Malagasy people 
uh, voted President Avery in power. Of course, under the, the roadmap, which was adopted in 2011, uh, Mark Ravalomanana, just like all the other, you know, political exiles, you know, were supposed to have been granted the right to return home. But that return home, you know, was also supposed to take place within a context whereby all the necessary conditions were created, firstly by the high transition authorities and then afterwards by the current administration. At the time when the transition authorities were in place, of course, you know, things were not clear and uh, there were indications that, you know, uh, the transition authorities were quite reluctant mm. to have Mark Ravalumanana back into the country. Uh, but there is a new dispensation, a new political dispensation in place, which was ushering with the election of President Airy. And um, the, the country, the country began its march towards national reconciliation when these elections were successfully conducted, uh, despite the difficult political circumstances that the country found in, itself in. And um, so. What what is what is critical and and uh, and I I agree with the, the previous speaker that the current issue is not a legal one. It's 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 a political it's a political issue, uh, which needs a political solution. Mm. And it's it's important that you know all the stakeholders, including President Avery and uh, Mark Ravala Mark Ravalomanana and all others involved put national reconciliation at the center yeah. of all the decisions that, you know, will be made going forward. Well, l- let me move on to Busisiwe in terms of uh, looking at that reconciliation process that you're highlighting. Does this uh, abduction actually hamper that uh, process of reconciliation? Because uh, this is an unfortunate situation here that uh, Madagascar finds itself, Busisiwe. Uh, well, I was referring to Busisiwe. Um, Busisiwe, can you answer that question for us? I'll come back to you, Cecil. Okay, I'll okay. I think firstly, you just need to acknowledge the fragility of the current political status. I agree with what Brian said to say that it's illegitimate and it compromises the value of democracy. However, on the other hand, you must remember the element of trust has been lost with what has happened since 2009. It is also a repetition of history. If you think back to 2002, which was perhaps the second identifiable coup in the history of Madagascar, Ravalomanana himself ousted uh, former president Ratsiraka. So the element of trust is missing in Madagascar, and there is generally a culture of and working outside of the rule of law. And secondly, it poses as a threat that Ravalomanana decided to go back home now. Uh, one begs to ask the question as to why now, and um, he also did not notify authorities about his return, which is a crucial element in, towards reconciliation, 
Um, it was also reported that he was conducting a press conference on arrival. I mean, obviously, the incumbent president, Rajonari Mampianina, had to make a stand. So I do not see it as a form of not working towards reconciliation because this action that happened in which Ravala Manana returned to Madagascar poses as a threat. It also can, uh, it further Hmm. nurtures or fuels the factions that exist in Madagascar. Hmm. Well, Brian, uh, Busisiwe is bringing some interesting elements there, saying that uh, Ravalo Manana went into the country without actually notifying officials that he's coming back. The whole issue of the press conference is another pointer that she brings into the factor there. And those are uh, important factors that she's bringing in there. What are your views? Um, Can I just say this, that I didn't hear, I could not hear a word of what my two colleagues said because the lines were so were so um, so poor. Okay. The two the two points I understand for, that you're asking me about one that he went in without without any sort of warning and two that what was the second point that uh, he had organised a press conference uh, on his arrival and uh, it's it's a bit uh, uh, interesting to see those elements coming in that was that was brought in by Busisiwe uh, highlighting those two factors. Okay, right. Just in terms of uh, going in unannounced, one must remember that since 2011, roadmap which was a SADC roadmap, which made provision for his unconditional return, was never implemented. Um, there was very little, in fact, uh, I, know for a, I know as a matter of course that SADC were not in favor of him going back, notwithstanding the provision of the roadmap. They believed that he should wait until after the elections. So although there was a provision for him to go back as part of the roadmap, he said, right, I will stay in South Africa. I know that on one occasion he did try and go back, but one has to remember that he was a very, very frustrated man living in exile. Anyone that's lived in exile will tell you that it's not a great experience. So let's forgive him for trying to go back on that earlier occasion, but generally he was quite willing to stay in South Africa, notwithstanding the frustration that he had. Come elections... A year, almost a year, well, 10, 11 months ago, in January, when I went to Madagascar to go and hand in his passport, which the authorities asked for, and again, I've got a written notification from Foreign Affairs saying, give us his old passport and we'll give you a new passport. I did that. That was in January. We're still waiting for his new passport. They've refused point blank to issue him with a passport which he is entitled to as a citizen of Madagascar. That's the first point. Second point, in, in January, when we indicated that he wanted to go back, President Rajonari Mampianin said, let me first establish my government, and then you can come back. The government was established at the end of January, early February. I persuaded the former president and the Mouvance to further wait behind the new government, which they did. As we talk until recently, they were sitting in Parliament supporting the new government. There's a, there's, a, there's a member of the executive cabinet minister in Rajonari Mampianin's cabinet. So there's that support. So from February, when there was this undertaking that he could now go back once the government was, uh, was established, we've been trying to engage to get him back. 
In May this year, I facilitated a meeting between the president and the former president in, in uh, Shanton, Johannesburg. And at that meeting, President Rajonari Mampianin said, I will engage in a process of consultation with a former president aimed at a facilitated, managed return. That was in May. Since that meeting, we have written, we have called, we have pleaded for that process to continue. We've not had a single response from the president. Absolutely sort of denial of the existence mm. of mm. Uh, Rajonari, of Rabalamanan here in, in South Africa. Mm. So, quite frankly, uh, he came to the conclusion, and I don't blame him, that unless he got on a plane and went back, he would never get back. There was no attempt. And I can say this to you, neither SADC nor the AU were proactive in any way of facilitating his return. Virtually the week after the election, SADC, well, a month after the elections, SADC closed their office in Madagascar. Mm. The roadmap says that SADC is supposed to drive the process of reconciliation. Well, no we, SADC in Madagascar. We have to so come back to that. Frankly, I yeah. mean, what, what else should the man do? <laughs> yeah. I never advised him to do it, and I didn't want him to do yeah. that. Yeah. I didn't know he was going to do it, but quite, I, I cannot blame him for doing that. It's something maybe I will have to ask Cecile and Bussi in terms of SADC's facilitation process in, in making sure that all the areas are covered. But I need to take a break. It's 11.33 Central African time. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Looking at the situation in Madagascar, uh, seems like there are a lot of loopholes that we're seeing with the confirmations made by Brian, but also I thought what Abusisiwe brought into the context in terms of how he went back into the country was also another factor in in how uh, we find ourselves in this situation. But hey, let us know your thoughts on this particular story. SMS us on plus two seven. 823-325-905 plus 27 823-325-905 I'll be back after this break with our guests Beats. Remember, Ebola is not a death sentence. Get treatment sooner. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Interesting insights we're getting on the program today, speaking to Brian Curran, who is a former Madagascar president, uh, legal representative. And uh, we also have Busiwa Kaba, who's a lecturer at the Northwest University. On the line as well, I have uh, Cecile Basamo, the senior program officer at uh, the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Cecile, let me start this part of the uh, conversation with you. As highlighted by Brian, that uh, SADC roadmap signed in 
September 2011 granted Ravalomanana unconstitutional right or unconditional right rather to return to Madagascar uh, but we not seeing this uh, follow up from SEDEC making sure that this happens smoothly Cecile um, yeah, it, it is. It is indeed true that uh, SADC has uh, played uh, quite a critical role in uh, in, uh, in the political crisis in, in Madagascar. Uh, the the regional body was instrumental in uh, in framing, you know, in putting together the roadmap, which was signed and adopted by uh, the various Malagasy stakeholders. And it is also true that, you know, in, uh, in that, in that uh, very important uh, uh, roadmap, uh, all, the political, um, all the political figures in exile were granted uh, the unconditional right uh, to, to return home including Mark Ravalomanana himself. And uh, if when we look at Article 20 of the, of the static road map, it is also clearly stated that the High Transition Authority should have provided all the security and safety um, conditions for the return of uh, the political exilees. But that wasn't done. Um, yes, uh, it, 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 it's quite uh, it, it's quite uh, uh, difficult to understand the reasoning for the SADC departure for, uh, from Madagascar, and only one month after the election. Mm. Um, the, it, it, it wasn't just important to support the country to go and uh, conduct uh, a peaceful election. Uh, the post-election the post phase and the static support in the post-election uh, area was absolutely uh, critical. Mm, mm. Um, and and it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that the country has now found itself in this uh, political quagmire with with Mark Ravalomanana showing, well, clearly showing signs of impatience, you know, to return home. Yeah. Well... Let, let me take that to Busisiwe in terms of that uh, SADC roadmap. Uh, what are your views into what Cecile is highlighting and what Brian is highlighting that, hey, they've closed down their offices and, hey, Mark Ravalomanana wants to go back home at some stage? Okay, yes, I acknowledge that he should go home. And indeed, the colleagues are right to say that the roadmap did provide unconditional returns of all people in exile. However, we need to guard against interference and intervention. Should the SEDEC continue now to uh, be seen in Madagascar, it can easily be seen as interference. We need to have trust in the newly elected government, uh, President Harry, that he will be able to establish and actually... Yeah, but Busi, uh, in terms of that, we need, we need uh, an independent body on the side to make sure that uh, the government is facilitating that in a fair and uh, a manner that actually uh, holds uh, the SADC roadmap to account. Don't you think, Busi Siwe? Yes, that is absolutely correct. 
I'm just saying that um, uh, SADC can do that in a form of mediation, which is correct, but it must not interfere. I'm just trying to highlight the differences between the two because should there be continuation of some sort, I'm not saying SADC should stay away and completely not intervene or mediate in SADC and hold it accountable, but it must also guard from not interfering. You must remember now, let me highlight this, the current government is legitimate. It's a legitimate government and the elections were declared free and fair elections. I do not know about credible though, and it stands as ease. So the government is in control, is in charge, and it should carry out all the administrative processes. Now he carries, he should ensure that the, 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 the guide principles or the agreements stipulated in the roadmap are carried through. Well, I need to I need to wrap it up because uh, we are seeing ourselves in a, a stalemate in terms of where we are right now. But I've got only about four minutes left, and let me come back to you, Brian, in terms of uh, how we can resolve this particular crisis. What should we be calling for, and what should we be hearing from uh, uh, continental bodies such as the African Union and SADC at this point? Have we heard anything? I think I haven't heard it. I've heard, well, I've heard it little things off the record which I don't want to to, to, to talk about now but I mean all we I don't see why this is so complicated. Mm. The fact of the matter is um Rabula Manan is now back in Madagascar. Let's take that which is regarded as a crisis and make it an opportunity. The other presidents are there, they're all there. One thing that has been suggested by, I know, the South Africans uh, on an earlier occasion was that those presidents, the first thing in reconciliation should be a meeting of all of those presidents, including Ravala Manan. He was out of the country. He's now there. Release him. Let him go home. If they believe, if the government believes his life is in, it might be under threat, ensure that there's proper security around his home. And as quickly as possible, get the four previous presidents together, get them to begin to engage with one another, begin the process of reconciliation at the highest level. By the way, yesterday, Madame Ramanan emphasized during a press conference the need for reconciliation and nation building. And that is the position of Ramanan as well. Let them do that. Let them show the qualities of our own great leader, Nelson Mandela. I'm sure that that is what he would do, and we should not expect anything less from another member state of SADC. Hmm. Buzi, how do we solve this situation? What are your views here? Just in uh, 30 seconds, before I go to Cecile. Okay. um, I'm also, I think the current president, Harry, he finds himself between a rock and a hard place. You must remember for him to win this president, he was backed by a rivalry of Ravalo Manana, Andre Rajolini, who backed him up. So it's very complicated and complex for him to resolve this, but he needs to work on internal unification. And already part of resolving the crisis was the democratic elections that took place in 2013. And also he needs to remain objective and fair in in working towards Mm. the reconciliation process and further restore the democratic values. All of this is not necessarily the political crisis. It's just symptoms of deep-rooted fjords that have happened in the history of Madagascar, Mm. as explained earlier about the number of military coups that have taken place in Madagascar. So the element of trust is lost, and the political culture of 
schools remains and working outside the rule of law, but it's up to the current government to reinstate that, to reinforce that and make sure that it happens. Cecil, let me give you the final word. How do we get back on this roadmap? Um, a mass return to Madagascar is certainly a, a real space to President Eri's commitment to the agenda of national reconciliation. Uh, the reality is Mark is back home. It's, it's a fair complete, um, irrespective of whether, you know, it was, it was planned, it was agreed upon or not. He's back in the country, and uh, it's, it's particularly important that President Eri, you know, is made aware that the ball is now in his court, you know, with Mark's return. And uh, all the different stakeholders, including Mark, including President Eri, and all other former presidents need to sit down, to engage, and to chart the way forward. Because uh, the people of Madagascar, you know, need the country mm-hmm. to be back, to be back, you know, on the right mm-hmm. after you know, a long, long political crisis that the country, you know, has been confronted to. So it is key that all the various stakeholders put national reconciliation at the core of the individual as well as the collective Well, that's how I'm going to end it. Thank you so much to you, Cecil Basamo, who is giving us uh, final remarks for this conversation. And uh, she is the Senior Program Officer at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Thank you as well to Busisiwa Kaba, a lecturer at the Political Science Department in the Northwest University based in South Africa. Thank you as well to Brian Curran, who is a former Madagascar president, Makravalo Manana's legal representative. Thank you to you all for joining us for this open and very different and multi-dimensional conversation, different elements coming out from this particular hour, some concerns and also very much strong remarks there from Brian on what has happened in terms of the context, in terms of how to get, how they were trying to get Mark Ravalomanana back in the country. But that takes me to my economics update right now. And I have Wissani Matsebula standing by to give us that. Thanks, Benjamin. CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Naren Rao, says uh, South African Finance Minister Antlantlanene has an enormous challenge facing him and should use the budget as a means of applying pressure and control in order to make sure that it takes what it takes to pull Africa's most advanced economy out of the doldrums. Nene is due to present his medium-term budget tomorrow. Goodseer explains that the lifting of the restrictions is just temporary and Namibia will still have to do more to meet the standard required by the South African Feedlot Association. He notes that Namibia needs to find a lasting solution to the problem by putting up infrastructure that will ensure that value is added to livestock products locally before they are exported to foreign markets. He sees the South African decision as a wake-up call for Namibia to embark more on the homegrown initiative. 
An Israeli firm will supply Egypt with natural gas uh, more than two years after sabotage halted the flow of Egyptian gas to Israel. For, for more than a decade, Israel relied on Egypt for roughly 40% of its gas needs in line with an export accord signed in 2005 by the two countries which are bound by a peace treaty. But in April 2010, Egypt annulled the contract, saying Israel has not met the financial obligations of the agreement. Moving on ahead right now, uh, CEO, rather, the Namibian Agricultural Union has described the recent restrictions imposed by South Africa on the importing of Namibian livestock as the most serious blow to local farmers. NUA Executive Manager Saki Kutse says although the ban has now been lifted after intense discussions between the two sides, the decision severely affects Namibia's farming sector. Every South African watching him very cautiously, he also has to pay heed to the fact that the ratings agencies are watching him. And the challenge he faces is that he doesn't want to test a negative spiral in the sense that if he doesn't prove himself to have the budget under control, if he doesn't send a strong message of fiscal discipline, then the ratings agencies are likely to downgrade us. That would drive up our cost of debt and bring into effect this negative spiral where we struggle to pay these higher costs of debt and it continues to place pressure on the budget. Financial indicators the dollar 11.05, South African rents 9.03, Botswana Pulas and 6.33 Zambian Quaches. Also trading at 0.62 to the British pound and 0.79 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,247 and platinum $1,267 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil at $85.47 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Feeling White is now standing by to give us sports. In our sports update this hour, kicking off with football news, the South African team Banyana Banyana will face Nigeria again in the semi-final of the CAF African Women's Championship, but this time in Windhoek, Namibia. The last time these two teams met, Banyana Banyana walked away victorious by a goal to nil. South African coach Vera Powell says that though her team has shown improvement by scoring five goals against Algeria in their last group stage match, people should be realistic when they look at the Nigerian game. Let's be honest, Nigeria is the powerhouse of Africa. And we are going to prepare in a way that we um, might have a, a chance to, to have a chance. Um, and that is not putting myself in the underdog, but that is the realistic situation, and everybody should uh, realize that. That doesn't mean that we're scared, because we have no fear to fill, and we will play our hearts out, and we will set a game strategy that is marked on, on Nigeria, and we will just go for it for 100%. Banyana, banyana could secure a World Cup spot if they win against Nigeria on Wednesday as the top three teams of this tournament qualify for Canada FIFA World Cup next year. Powell says her team is possible faced with two finals and they should take each game as it comes. Well, let's be, let's be honest. Uh, uh, let's say we win from Nigeria. That means that we're in the World Cup, isn't it? So now it is just game by game. Now there's another final for us. We feel all that we've played three finals. 
already. There's another final for us lying there. And um, then there will be another final, whether it's for the first and the second or whether it's for the third and the fourth place. There will be two finals ahead of us. And um, game by game we prepare and uh, we will be absolutely ready. Meanwhile, Super Falcon Central defender Onome Ebi has described as key to reclaiming the African Women's Championship title the semi-final showdown against the South African foes, Banyana Banyana. The Falcons lost the AWC title only twice to the Equatorial Guinean opponents in 2008 and 2012, which the country hosted. AB says her side will not allow the mistakes of that painful defeat to repeat itself again in tomorrow's semi-final duel at the same New York Stadium in Windhoek, Namibia. She blamed the poor finishing in front of a goal and complacency as responsible, insisting that her side have learned their lessons. In rugby news, the Springboks were dealt a double blow when first Saracens hooker Skalk Bretz and then Bulls tight head prop Marcel van der Merve were ruled out of the end of the year tour with a knee injury. Van der Merve was supposed to join up with the Bok training camp this week but hurt himself in the dying minutes of the Vodacom Blue Bulls loss in the Absa Curry Cup semi-final against DHL Western Province on Saturday. And he will miss the next four to six weeks of rugby with a medial knee ligament injury. The loss of Van der Merve is a big blow for Bok coach Henneke Meyer, especially as the tour of Ireland, England, Italy and Wales is fraught with traps at the moment. Not to mention a final test in Cardiff where none of the European players will be available as it falls outside the IRB window. In cricket news, the Pro Tiers captain A.B. De Villas anchored his side to a six-wicket victory over New Zealand, whose bowling and fielding was far superior to a poor pet betting performance in the first game of their three-match one-day series today. De Villas, 89 not out, combined with J.P. Dumini, 58 not out, in an efficient 139-run partnership after a tight and varied New Zealand bowling attack had given the host the sniff of an unlikely victory when they reduced them to 97 for 4 in the 25th over at Bay Oval in Mount Monganui. The 30-year-old De Villas, however, completed his 39th ODI half-century, while Dumini compiled his 20th and hit a 6 to win the game as the tourists finished on 236 for 4 after 48.1 overs, having chased New Zealand 230. The series is being used by both sides to finalise their selections for next year's Cricket World Cup in New Zealand and Australia. Finally, with volleyball, Rwanda under-23 men's national volleyball team will be looking to finish as high as possible in the Africa Championships from the 5th to the 13th of November in Sham el-Sheikh, Egypt. According to head coach Paul Bitok, the players are responding well in training and he plans to use warm-up games against Kenyan sides later this month to put them in a more competitive mood ahead of the continental meet. It says some of the players already have experience playing in such big tournaments, having featured at Anna 21 Africa Championships and World Championship last year. The two finalists in Africa Championships will qualify to represent Africa in the FIVB Men's Under-23 World Championships 2015, which will be hosted by Brazil from October the 6th to the 13th. And that's your Sport News this hour.
Well, that's how we wrap up the program. But uh, hey, we're looking at uh, the television scene here on what's happening. Oscar Pistorius is now moving into the police van. He just jumped in right now with other security personnel or police members jumping in with him into the van. And I'm sure you're going to get some updates uh, during this hour, especially on the program coming up next, Africa Midday. I'm sure you'll get a lot of updates on uh, the sentencing of Oscar Pistorius today. We know that he was sentenced to five years. Uh, we also told that the MPA is yet to decide whether they will appeal. So, yeah, very interesting developments. But today we were looking at the Madagascar situation. What do you think of what's happening there? It sounds like a lot of confusion in terms of that abduction by the Madagascar president. They still don't know why he is being abducted in terms of who are they keeping Makravala Manana safe from. Uh, that's what we heard from Brian Curran there. But uh, let us know your thoughts on this interesting conversation we had today by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Let's end with the proverb of the day. Today is a Nigerian proverb. I love this one. It says fire has no brother. Fire has no brother. I think that's significant, and uh, you need to figure what that means out. And let us know your thoughts uh, on uh, the other developments on the continent by also tweeting us. You can tweet us at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. That's it from me. Until tomorrow, God bless. We're having a